take your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah chapter 2 as we continue in the series entitled Building for the Future. Because in this book, in this letter, in this account of the person of Nehemiah, we have a man who was in a leadership position in Babylon after all of God's people were exiled and were made to leave Israel and Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, the city walls that kept the city safe and all their gates, all of that was destroyed. And so the people in Jerusalem were very vulnerable in this year. Now this is one of the latest books in all of the Old Testament in around 445 BC to be written. And this story is one that is told because of a man named Nehemiah who wanted to go back to Jerusalem. He was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes in Babylon. And he wanted to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, particularly the walls, because that kept the people safe. Well, as he wanted to go back and do this great, wonderful thing for his hometown and do this wonderful undertaking of rebuilding the city walls, he needed some help. He needed the king's resources. He needed the king's backing. And today we learn about two men who wanted to undermine what God was doing. And this morning I have good news and I have bad news. I don't know which you want first. Most people want the bad news first because it's like ripping a band-aid off, right? You just want to get it over with. Just tell me the bad news first. The bad news is the title of the message today is very true to every group, every family, every church, every community, and that is there's some in every crowd. Now that's the bad news. The bad news is there's some in every crowd. But do you want to know the good news? The good news is there's some in every crowd. Now, what I mean by that is, I heard a pastor many years ago describe a variety of Christians that he called cold water Christians. Now, there is a parable that Jesus tells and an example that he gives where he says that if you give a cup of cold water in my name to someone who is thirsty or to a child or someone in need, then you do it for me. You're doing it on my behalf. Now, there are some people in churches, in families, in communities that are a lot like Nehemiah. They are cold water Christians, meaning that they are carrying a cup of cold water, something to give to somebody in need, and they are eager, they're ready, they want to help, they want to serve. There are some like that in every single crowd. But the bad news is there are cold water Christians in every group who don't have the intention of serving somebody with that cup of cold water. What they're actually doing is looking for whatever spark that God is doing, whatever source of life, whatever bit of fire that God is seeming to engage in his people and they're looking to pour that water on that spark and discourage whatever God is doing. The problem is, and the good news and the bad news is, there are some of both in every single crowd. The question for you today is, which type of cold water Christian are you? 
Are you the type to look for where God is at work and jump in with both hands and both feet and say, God, I want to join you in what you're doing? Or are you the type to question, to be discouraging, to be distracting, and to maybe even pour water on a spark that God wants to ignite? Just like Nehemiah had a big undertaking in doing this great benefit in ministry for Jerusalem, it took people in the crowd to roll up their sleeves, to get their hands dirty, and to be part of the work. And that's what God is calling us as a church to do and to be. In every ministry, in every undertaking, in every decision, and in every moment that we exist as a church, it's not one for us to sit back and observe It's one for us to get our hands dirty, to roll up our sleeves and say, God, what is my part in this? But then there are some who are going to discourage. And my prayer for you today is that you are that type of person to roll up your sleeves and to get involved and not take that cup of cold water that Jesus has put in your hands and pour it on a spark that God wants to ignite. You see, there's really two encouragements from this passage of Scripture today in response to those two types of people. The first thing that the Bible wants us to know, and I want you to see this in verses 9 through 10, is that we are called, first of all, to serve in spite of the discouragers. I want you to leave here today with the commitment to serve God in spite of those who want to discourage the work. Notice what the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. He says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Now here's what you need to know about these discouragers. I I want you to get to know these guys because the two nuts that you saw in the video, uh, you didn't get to hear what they had to say, but the two nuts that you saw in the video kind of give you an example or give you a little glimpse into the heart of a discourager. Somebody who is looking for what God wants to do and they blame it on somebody else, they have another way of doing it, or they just don't want the work to be done at all. Here are the discouragers. The first one we know about is Sanballat. Now he was from a town 18 miles north of Jerusalem. And eventually, in the year 405 BC, he became the governor of Samaria. This was a man who was known by the king, He was known by the Jerusalem people. He was known by the Israelites. Here is a guy who was already running for office. He was already well known in the community. And I can guarantee you when Sanballat didn't like something, everybody knew what he didn't like. You ever know somebody like that? I mean, there's sometimes that we kind of grumble quietly. There's sometimes that we grumble obviously. And there are just times where something bothers a certain person and everybody in town knows 
you know, that they've gotten sand in their fruit of the looms. I mean, everybody knows that this person is not happy about whatever it is. That's Sanballat. He is this guy who was very influential, was into politics. He heard what somebody else was going to do for the benefit of the people, and he got bent out of shape. Now, he also took with him this man named Tobiah, who is the Ammonite. So he was a servant. And historical records would, would tell us that Sanballat had this guy, Tobiah, as a servant of his. Now, every Batman needs a Robin, right? I mean, every big dog on the block needs a sidekick. Well, here is Sanballat. He's the, he's the big head cheese, but he needs this little guy next to him to keep chirping in his ears, and he needs this, this constant encouragement to be a discourager. You see, discouragers run in a pack. Sometimes the pack is small. But they enjoy getting a group of people fired up, irritated, encouraging to the discouragement, and they like to have a mass of people listen to what they have to say. In a sense, these are the kinds of people that love to stir the pot. They don't necessarily want to stop the work. They don't necessarily want to hurt the person doing the work. They just want to get people riled up so that they question the work. Well, why are we doing this? Why did the king send him? Why did he have all of this entourage coming from Babylon? I've been here the whole time. Why didn't the king ask me? I already know what's going on. I could tell you what, what, what's happening. Why did the king write all of these letters letting this guy have this fancy entourage all the way from Babylon when I've been here the whole time? Does that sound like a story in the Bible? I mean, sometimes we act like, not like the prodigal son that comes back home to get his life straight and to actually reconcile with the father, but we act like the other son. I've been here the whole time. Why isn't God using me? Why isn't something happening in my life? Why doesn't the father give me all of those resources? But you see, here's something that we need to understand about discouragers and servants of God. Whenever God looks at talent, ability, influence, good speaking ability, the ability to motivate people and to get a following. Whenever God evaluates those things, they always come in lower on the list than the heart. Because you see, what was different about somebody like Sanballat as opposed to somebody like Nehemiah was the heart that Nehemiah had for the people of God. Sanballat would have loved to have been part of this undertaking so that his name could be engraved in the city walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah wanted the work to be done because he wanted glory to be given to God. You see, friend, that's how you can decide today which kind of cold water Christian you are. Is it that you want to serve God so that people pat you on the back? Is it that you want to teach a Sunday school class or, or be a deacon or hand out 
bulletins or serve in the nursery or do something for the church so that the church recognizes you? Or do you simply just want to see the will of God done and the kingdom of God come and you just want to be part of what God is doing? See, the discouragers have a tremendous ability that they practice. And this ability comes down to one simple question, and that is, what's in it for me? See, when we look at a church, we look at our family, we look at a community, and our first question is, what's in it for me? Then God instantly knows that our heart is far from Him. Our heart should rather resonate with the heart of Nehemiah. To say, how can I bring glory to God? How can I advance God's kingdom? How can I serve the people of God? How can I make it not about me, but all about Him? Let me just be real with you for a minute, okay? We all have problems. Every person in this room on some level has a problem. In your life personally, in your family, in your job, at school, your health. Everybody has issues. And so many times what we desire to turn a church into is a church of servants for me. A church of people that I expect them to do this for me. I want them to notice me. I want them to serve me. I want people to do this for me. And so many times we treat even a church or a family or a community as though everybody in town Everybody in the pews exists for our needs. Let me let you in on a little secret. I've said this dozens of times, and it's worth repeating. If you walk into a church, and you see people, and you say, Oh good, here I am, what can you do for me? If everybody in our church asked that question, then nobody would be served. If every single person in our church walked into this room and said, good, there you are, what can you do for me? Nobody would have their needs met. But if every person in this church walked into this place and said, oh good, there you are, what can I do for you? Then I guarantee you everybody's needs would be met. Because when everybody wants to serve somebody, then everybody is served by somebody. But when everybody wants to be served by everybody else, then nobody is served. So friend, the best way that you can make our church glorify God and meet the needs of others is every single one of us say, I want to be an encourager and I want to give because I know when we all give, somebody eventually is going to give to me. And my needs will be met according to the riches in Christ. But if all I do is expect attention, if all I do is expect people to do for me and I never give and I never serve, then how could I ever expect anybody to give me a cup of cold water in Jesus' name? This is Sanballat and Tobiah. But I also want you to notice down in verse 19. As Nehemiah walks around the city and sees what's going on. Down in verse 19, we hear from these two knuckleheads again. 
And the Bible says in verse 19, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, so now they've got another one in their group, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Now, I, I will give it to discouragers. Sometimes they have a lot of energy and they have a lot of motivation and they, and they have a lot of information. They're just not always right. <laughs> These guys are seeing what Nehemiah is doing for the benefit of the people of God as an offense to the king. Yes, the same king that Nehemiah asked his permission to go. The same king that Nehemiah got letters of approval and protection. The same king that said you can take wood from different forests and you can have all of the provisions that you need. These guys now are asking questions to make it seem as though the king is displeased with them. I think one of the greatest things that discouragers can do is ask the wrong question at the wrong time. And when you question somebody's motivation, when you question somebody's heart, essentially what you're doing for somebody who is, has a heart to serve and a heart to, to see God's kingdom advance, essentially what you're doing is you're questioning the will of God. You see, they turned it around and said, what you're doing is an offense to the king. They assumed that the king of Babylon did not want the city of Jerusalem rebuilt. They assumed that the king of Babylon wanted to keep his thumb on the Jews and wanted to see the temple walls and the, the city walls destroyed. But what they did not understand is not only was it the king that sent Nehemiah in the first place, and not only was it the king that gave the resources but it was also the king that allowed the people to go back to Jerusalem to get on with their lives, and it was under the king's rule that they were allowed to go back and to reconnect with God. A discourager will cause you to ask, why am I doing what I'm doing? And friend, if you don't know the answer to that question before you start doing the work, then you should never do the work in the first place. If your motivation is all about you and somebody questions your heart and your heart is not right with God and your motivation is somehow not lined up with the will of God, then don't ever start a project and expect God to bless it. But if it is God's project, and if God is the one who is behind it, and if God is the one promoting it, and if God is the one offering leadership to it, and somebody comes along and says, what you're doing is an offense to something else or someone else, then what you need to do is continue to focus on the God who called you to serve. There was an old man in a church who was asked by a young Christian, what is your favorite verse or phrase in all of the Bible? Now this old man had been asked for advice, wisdom. Many times over the years, people in, in business meetings and hallway discussions and, 
and, and talks out in the parking lot and discipleship groups and Sunday school classes would constantly ask this man, hey, what do you think? So this young man was expecting this, this great jewel of wisdom from this old man when asked, what is your favorite phrase or verse in all of the Bible? He looked at that young man and he said, my favorite phrase in all of the Bible is not just in one verse, it's scattered all through the Bible. And it's the phrase, and it came to pass. Well, the young man was pretty disappointed because he was sure hoping for something a lot deeper than that. And the old man saw the look on his face and he looks at the young man and he said, the reason that's my favorite phrase it's because even when problems come into my life, I know that those problems will come to pass. They've not come to stay. Friend, whenever you serve God, there are discouragers who will come to pass. They will not come to stay. When you are locked in on what God wants you to do, what God wants you to be, who God is in the process of enabling you to become, when God is at work in the life of our church, when God is leading us for certain ministries or projects or endeavors, there are some discouragers that will come to pass, but they should not ever come to stay. And There are times that you will be your own worst discourager. I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I don't know why God even asked me. I don't know why God would put me in this position. Why didn't God use somebody else? Why is He bothering me? I can't do this. Friend, let that thought come to pass. Don't let it come to stay. And when God is in it, and when God is moving, let's go with God. Let's be encouraged by Him. Let's follow God's leadership and let's not let those questions of the discouragers and all of those discouraging thoughts that we even give ourselves, don't let those things come to stay. Let them come to pass. We need to serve and serve the Lord in spite of the discouragers. But here's the second thing I want you to notice in this text. The Bible tells us also to serve God. Not only in spite of the discouragers, but second of all, we need to learn to serve along with the encouraged. Now if you look around this room today, you don't know who is encouraged and who is discouraged. You don't know who might serve as a discourager or somebody that might serve as an encourager in something in your life and something in your family or in something in our church. You don't know that. But I will guarantee you that there are some in every crowd. There are some who are not only personally encouraged about what God has done in their life, what God is doing in their family, and what God is doing in the life of our church. Not only are they encouraged about those things, but they want to be an encouragement to you. So we need to learn to serve God along with those who are encouraged. Now if you notice in verses 11-16, through 16, the Bible tells us in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went out by night. And then you see all of the different places where he went. 
Now, why does Nehemiah give us this kind of insight? You're reading the book of Nehemiah chapter 2 along with me, and you think, who cares? So what that Nehemiah was there for three days? Why do we have to know that? That's a great question, and I'll tell you why. Because here is a guy who has been disconnected from Jerusalem. Here's a guy who has only heard stories, and for four months in Babylon, all he has heard is negative this, negative that, this has happened, this has happened, and he finally gets there, and he spends three days taking it all in for himself. You see, this is what a good leader does. This is what good leadership does. Nehemiah didn't walk into the city and say, all right, I've got resources. I'm here to do this. I'm here to do that. Now let's sit up, straighten up. Here, you do this. Grab this hammer and get to it. That's not what he did at all. In fact, what Nehemiah did was so much deeper spiritually than I can even explain in words today. Here's a man who spent three days walking through this city with a broken heart over all these pieces of the wall and the city that had been broken down. Everything that he had been told about, he didn't get text messages with pictures. He didn't get emails with PDFs so that he could download them and see for himself. He didn't get a FaceTime call where he could see the wall over his smartphone. No, this is a guy who had been imagining the worst for four months, and now he was seeing it face to face, and he took three days to walk all the way around the city to look at every single gate, every broken piece, every house that was destroyed, and with his own heart said, God, this will be done for you. See, this is what leadership does. Leadership doesn't step in and start barking orders. Leadership says, what is the problem and what does God want to do about it? And what is my role in this situation? Friend, I have asked you all many times to be in prayer for our community for problems that you know exist that you may or may not want to talk about. I've asked you to be in prayer for the life of our church over different initiatives and ministries and projects the Lord wants to do in the life of our church. I've asked you to be in prayer for the, the spiritual unity of our church and, and decisions that are ahead. Because I want you, like Nehemiah, not to jump in and say, all right, how much, where, where is it, who's doing it, who's, who's going to do this, what's my part, what's your part, how can we get this done? Rather, what I want you to do is I want you to take some days to really evaluate why are we here? Why are you here now? What does God want to do with you in this church? And how does God want to advance His kingdom through Columbia Baptist Church? I would rather wait on God a couple of more days and make sure that our hearts are right. Make sure that our motivation is right. Make sure that our desire to serve Him is right. Than to jump in and say, hey, let's hurry up and do this before our people are there. Friend, I'm telling you, God wants to do some great work in you and great work in me. And the best thing you can do is wait and be patient on the Lord, knowing what He wants to do in you. But notice what it says in verses 17 and 18. After Nehemiah had looked at all of the destruction, it says, Then I said to them, 
you see the trouble we're in. But by the way, do you notice now that Nehemiah says the word we? Now he is part of the city of Jerusalem. Now he is no longer the cupbearer to the king. Now he is not over there doing that, serving him. Now it is we. You see the trouble we're in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me, and they said, let us rise up and build. Friend, the Bible tells us clear and plain, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for Columbia Baptist Church, who can discourage the work God wants to do? If God is for your family and your family has a heart to really serve the Lord, then yes, you may have some discouragement. Yes, people may tell you no. Yes, people may call you crazy. But if God is for it and He wants to use your family, don't listen to the discouragers. You follow those that are encouraged because they're following God. If God wants to do something in you that other people may call crazy, if God wants to use you in the life of your children, in the life of your grandchildren, in the life of different people in this community, and people you've never met, if God wants to give you a heart to serve people in ministry and to do something different with your life than others are willing to do, then don't listen to the discouragers, but you follow the one who is encouraging you. And His name is Jesus. You see, if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is calling you, doesn't matter who else is talking. If God is giving the plan, then it doesn't matter who has an other plan or who has some other alternative. If it is God's plan, then that's your plan. And we need to serve alongside of those who are encouraged by God, knowing that if God is for us, who can be against us? Back on July the 4th, 1952, there was a young lady who wanted to be the first woman to swim from Catalina Island to the coast of California. It was a distance of 21 miles, and she wanted to be the first female to ever swim that distance. She set out one morning, and in one boat, she had her mom and her trainer the mother was there to just constantly give encouragement and, and, and just continue motivating her and the trainer just reminding her how to kick and how to swim and, and how to stay encouraged. There was another boat, by the way, had two men with rifles in it to kill sharks that would come and sniff at her and maybe even keep her from finishing the swim. She set out that morning to swim 21 miles, 15 hours and 55 minutes into the swim, she quit. Not because she was tired, not because she was cold, not because a shark had messed with her. She quit after swimming 20 and a half miles, half of a mile from the shore. She quit. 
because the fog was so dense she couldn't see where she was swimming. And she gave up. After 15 and hours and 55 minutes, she went back another day, many days later, when, as they say, the coast was clear. And not only did she swim those 21 miles, she did it two hours faster than she had done the previous time. Why? Because she could see the destination. Friend, don't think of a ministry, of a project, of a budget, of a certain number sitting in our pews. Don't think of those things as the destination. Rather, fix your eyes on Jesus and swim toward Him. Run toward Him. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. And though other people will tell you to stop, other people will tell you to run this way, other people will tell you you're wasting your time, just keep running to Jesus and don't ever quit. And when you do that as a Christian, when you do that as a family, when we do that as a church, God will use us to accomplish exceedingly more than we could ever ask or think. Because He will make the coast clear. And He will fix our eyes on the prize that is Him. And whatever we accomplish along the way will not be for our glory, but will be all for His. You see, if your eyes are fixed on something today other than Jesus, then you're running the wrong race. If your eyes are fixed on a job or on an income or on a, a, a prestigious position in the community or, or, or how other people look at you or how many friends you have or, or whatever your social status is, if that's why you're running the race of life, I'm telling you, you're going to wear out and you're going to fall out of the race because it's not worth running. But if your eyes are fixed on Jesus today, then every step of the journey is worth it. But friend, if you've never fixed your eyes on Jesus before, if you've put your eyes and your attention on something else, then today is the day to take your eyes off of whatever has grabbed your attention and put your face face to face with Jesus who died on the cross for your sins. Who paid the price so that you don't have to run your own race and try to make it on your own. You put your eyes on Him and He's the one that encourages you all along the way and the prize is heaven. Because Jesus has paid it all. Today is the day to turn your eyes to Jesus and to trust in Him if you've never made that decision before. But cold water Christian, if you have made that decision, use that cup of cold water in the name of Jesus to serve and to accomplish the will of God and be one of the encouraged rather than one of the discouragers. Because what God has entrusted to you is your responsibility to use for His glory and even for your own good you bow your heads with me as we pray our heavenly father lord as we come to you in this moment and we are so thankful for the gift of your grace 
the provisions that You give and the guidance that You offer. The leadership, Father, that You give to us that we're so undeserving of. Lord, I pray that today that You would fix our eyes on Jesus as a church, as Christian families, and definitely as individual Christians today. God, that our heartbeat would be so in tune with Yours. That our desire as believers in Jesus Christ would be so certain and sure. God, that whatever it is that You ask of us, whatever task You put before us, whatever it is that is part of our journey, God, that those things would not be our ultimate destination, but that our eyes would be so fixed on Jesus that all we see is Him. Lord, if there is someone listening to this message who has never given their heart to Jesus, I pray that today would be the day that they fix their eyes on Him. And God, that You would call them to run the race of faith, trusting in Jesus for every step along the way. God, thank You for the gift of Your grace. Thank You for calling us to serve and being part of Your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.